0: I I wanted to start a new study tonight, so we are going to be in the book of, let's do 1 Corinthians. (laughs) 1 Corinthians. Let me pray and then I'll read. Lord, we thank you for this evening and I thank you for that time of worship and I thank you for the prayer that you put upon John's heart and Lord, the word that you have for us tonight, we just ask your blessing on it. We ask you'd lead us into all wisdom, that you'd open our eyes and our hearts to receive all that you'd have. We thank you for your word that's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And so, Lord, we're ready to receive all you have for us. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you, and we ask your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to do 1 Corinthians uh, for a number of reasons. One is particularly in relation to what's happening in California with uh, AB 2943. And now it's a Senate bill and the number, I don't know. And the, the truth of the matter is it's going to pass. If you don't want, know what it is, look it up take a look at it. Uh, it is a frontal assault on the very first amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which is religious liberty. Um, and, and by the definition and, you know, probably folks that want to think the best, uh, they read AB 2943 and they say, no, that won't happen. But in the language itself, it's one of those things where the Bible, if the Bible is sold in California, it's a violation of AB 2943 because it, it says "So were such were some of you in relation to coming out of certain lifestyles and things of that sort. And so uh, this is going to be one of those things that will be contested in the courts and it'll go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And you've got legal sides preparing for a fight and all kinds of things happening. And you've got a legislature that is dominated by one party, a supermajority. So there's no opposing voice and uh, these things are happening. And California is kind of the test case. And we were the ones, California was the ones that in- instituted no-fault divorce. It was actually Ronald Reagan who signed it into law. In 69, it was put into effect in 1970, and the divorce rate just skyrocketed in America, and everyone embraced no-fault divorce across the country. And after AB 2943, now Maine has put something forward similar to it, which the governor there will probably veto, but here in California, the governor won't veto it. And we're, we're seeing these things starting to kind of pick up speed. And we're looking at California. We we spend an enormous amount of money on education, and I think we're either fourth or fifth from the last of the 50 states in the union. Um, we lead the nation in poverty. Uh, we, our infrastructure is dwindling. We have unbelievable taxation. And this is an experiment, quite honestly, in socialism and trying to seek a utopia and uh, last night, we had a six-hour council meeting uh, where we sat uh, for six hours uh, listening to, well, it wasn't all six hours in front of the public. We had a closed session on two items that took us almost to midnight. But uh, in that, uh, that evening, we had uh, contesting voices. They were contending for... Um, property issues, environmental issues. They were wanting to, uh, there was a number of folks, a great turnout last night of folks wanting us to step away from SB 54, which is making California a sanctuary state, uh, which is in violation of federal law and the U.S. Constitution, and they were saying we need to be one of those cities that stands in opposition to the state and joins the federal government and contending for that. And the council doesn't want to vote on it. And the only way it can be brought to a vote on the council is that the mayor puts it on the agenda or three of the five council members agree to put it on the agenda. Currently, they have one council member wants to put it on uh, me. And uh, oh, here he is. Pastor Fred, welcome. That's Pastor Fred Kimbangaya from Uganda. I'm not going to have you speak because you're too tired. But we'll do it on Sunday, okay? Yes. Amen. Look at that smile. If you're having a bad day, just hang around, Fred. Everything's joy. Amen. So um, we're, we're, it's an interesting battle. And uh, it was so exciting to see folks come out to the point where they're going to push it to a place where I sincerely believe the council is going to put it up for a vote. Uh, I think the vote will be 3-2. to two. It'll lose. Um, we might be able to sway one or two other council members to make it a... Uh, three to two decision in our favor, one council member, and I can't violate the Brown Act, I'm only allowed to talk to one council member, Uh, that council member I did speak to uh, is in favor of standing, or at least has said they are, I don't know if they'll do it publicly. Um, So it's, it's such an interesting time we live in. And uh, we are facing stuff that is so unprecedented. Uh, I'm 53 years old, and it's kind of just funky to me uh, where we are as as a state, as a nation, um, even the church itself. Today, uh, Tim and I went to gather with the Calvary Chapel pastors in Santa Barbara. And they were all concerned about SV2943 and what's in it and how's it going to affect us. And they were all worried and and they were coming up and talking to me, but they didn't really want to engage me as the political pastor. So, you know, Tim and I kind of had our seats in the back section and some would come up and talk to us. And everyone that I talked to was like, whoa, I didn't realize that. I mean, what are we going to do and how? And hey, you know, this is something that's been rolling for 20 years and the church has been silent and now you want to fix it. It's it's not going to happen. You have to start from the base, the bottom up. And uh, they're, they're thinking, wow, because gone are the days that you can bring in a big band and have a pastor come forward and fill a stadium full of people and, you know, the the myopic gospel or the truncated gospel of believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, believing that uh, you've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you believe in your heart, confess your tongue. Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. All in favor. Please raise your hand. And then, wow, what a great service we had. People came forward. We prayed for them. We had a whole bunch of people come to Christ. Awesome. Awesome. And Calvary Chapel's been doing that for 51 years. We've had 10,000% growth of people doing that while the state is imploded. And, and now you can't fill a room. You can't do things. And now the church is getting smaller because the civil laws are making it such that you don't have that freedom. And now you can't teach the entirety of the scriptures without facing lawsuits. And it's, and people say, oh, that'll never happen. It's happening. I mean, this is, quite honestly, I love times like this. It's exciting to me because fish are cut bait. You gotta decide. And, um, you know, and I had invoked Dietrich Bonhoeffer in my prayer and I had invoked William Wilberforce. And these are folks that were facing... Uh, unbelievable odds, impossible odds, and watched a transformation of a culture. Uh, William Wilberforce, over fifty years laboring in the in the legislature in England, ended slavery without a shot being fired, thirty years before America did, and we lost six hundred and fifty thousand people on a field of battle. He got it done, and, and instead of going into the clergy and staying in the confines of the church and the myopic gospel of raising your hand, he went into the public arena into the civic arena and contended for the cross of Christ. you don't enslave human beings based on the color of sin you don't enslave human beings period, and he got opposition, and the church was against him, and the you know and he he did it and the amazing thing is all of his contemporaries. Commended him for what he had accomplished, but they said that the greatest thing that Wilberforce ever did was brought civility uh, to the public square. He did it in such a Christian way that people's lives were touched and, and he, he, he ushered in the Victorian era. So last night, when we were sitting there and some of the people that were in opposition to SB 54 were booing, I just put my hand up and, and I was so thankful for some of the folks there. So stop that. Stop it. This isn't the way you act if you're a believer. You don't do it this way. You know, it's not, it's not this theocratic kingdom and, and onward Christian soldier and thump everybody. You operate in a very civil kind. Everything about you reflects the cross of Christ. And we're watching this, and I like it because we're having to figure out how to do this. And it's something that we haven't done in over 50 years, and it's really cool. So all of that brought me to 1 Corinthians because I can't think of a church more aligned with the church in California than the church in Corinth. And so with that, we will begin our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Real briefly before we begin reading, uh, this was written, gosh, 56 AD by the Apostle Paul when he was actually in Ephesus. And he wrote this letter. It's it's the epistle to the Corinthians. The word epistle means letter. He wrote this letter while he was in Ephesus, uh, just to give you a map idea of how it all lays out. Uh, This is Corinth, there's Athens, and Ephesus is over in the Turkish area. And while he was in Ephesus, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Now, he had been to the church at Corinth in 50 A.D. and 51 A.D., and while he was there, he planted the church, and it was actually started with a really godly woman. And uh, this church began in Ephesus, or excuse me, in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul plants this church in 50, 51 A.D., And now he's in Ephesus, and he gets word from uh, a number of folks, one including uh, the guy that he writes a letter to. His name is Sosthenes, tough one to say. Uh, Sosthenes, it's uh, strength in the Lord, safe in strength. He was a chief ruler of the synagogue at Corinth. Uh, You can find more about him in Acts chapter 18. Um, I'll read some of that tonight so that you can kind of see how this church was planted. And uh, Paul's writing this letter to Sosthenes, and he's the one who's kind of heading up the church, and he's the one um, operating. And the church, within a very short time of being planted, conversion growth, everybody receive the Lord, raise your hand. Oh, we got a room, we got a church, let's do this. And uh, the church is planted. Now, here's the problem. The church is planted in a city that makes Las Vegas, Atlantic City, uh, the worst cities you can imagine as far as licentiousness it makes them look like the vatican well that's a pretty bad place too yeah. it makes them sorry it makes it makes them look like it, it just it, newbury it Park. yeah still, okay yeah newbury parks awesome um <laughs> But but Corinth is just vile, and I'll give you an example. In Corinth, they had uh, the the temple of Aphrodite, and every night a thousand temple prostitutes would go into the city to ply their trade. Now they weren't just prostitutes that would come in and you know uh, get on back page or, or whatever the things are. Actually, I think that's been outlawed. They got rid of that, and and so what they would do is they 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 were these women. Uh, weren't folks that traveled a circuit um, for prostitution to where the business was. These women were the wives and the daughters of the citizens of Corinth. Just thought I'd tell you that. It was required of every woman to serve the temple of Aphrodite and to serve in the temple of Aphrodite, they were required to prostitute themselves at a given time for the trade route and they'd go in and, and in prostituting themselves, they would, uh, they would get paid and then that money would go into the temple coffers to keep the temple of Aphrodite rolling. An interesting culture, yeah? Now with that, you've got a lot of conflict and you've got a lot of struggle, your heart's broken, Uh, the, the sexual promiscuity in the city of Corinth was heavy and, uh, you know, you can just imagine, you know, a dad saying, Hey, sweetie, it's, it's your turn to go to the temple of Aphrodite. Daddy, I don't want to go. I, I'm, no, you got to go. And, uh, but dad, the, the, the whole shipload of folks came in from Turkey and those guys are brutal. And I, you gotta, this is what we do. This is the temple and this is who we worship and you need to do this. And and you don't know what happens in those moments, and you know the the sexual uh, identity of human beings, and and how it is so reflective in our intimacy. And it's it's this this um, this gift God's given of sex is an expression of intimacy, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. So when you connect on on every level, God gives you this act. Uh, where the two become one, and it's this, it's designed that this is an emotional expression of what's connected, or it's a physical expression of what's connected emotionally and physically, and 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 this is to be shared in this intimacy, and and the the two will become one, and the idea is you, you know each other, there's there's an understanding, there's a uh, an honesty and a truthfulness. Well, apart from all that, you just got somebody coming into the room. You don't know where they're from. You don't know their name. You probably can't even speak their language. And, and you're engaging in an, in an expression of intimacy when there isn't any intimacy. And then you part ways and you're left just empty going, what was that? And and what it did to the psyche of the culture and, and the dysfunction of the culture and as we'll go through the book of 1 Corinthians, what's fascinating is, here's the church is gathering, and you have a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. I thought that would have more of a reaction. <laughs> Apparently we're in Corinth, it just doesn't phase anybody. A man was sleeping with his father's wife. There we go, good, thank you. And, and, and then you had, you had drunkenness where they were, they would have the communion table and they would all gather at the communion table to break bread and celebrate the, 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 the crucifixion of Christ and, and his death upon a cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. And they're pounding the wine and everybody's drunk at the communion table. They put the fun and dysfunction, and then they go back to their families, and they've got all this warped stuff from everything that the wives and the daughters, and that's not all. It was the Temple of Aphrodite, but there was also homosexual relations where they would sell themselves in prostitution. So whatever was intended by the Lord and the human psyche and all that's involved in that, everybody's warped. And you just look at some of the archaeological diggings of Corinth, and you find some of the most obscene. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have the internet, they didn't have, you know, what we have today, but they did have pornographic imagery in the form of, of idols and, and statues and paintings. Uh, you know, you go through Pompeii, we, we walk through Ephesus, and even if you go through Pompeii, as you're walking through the Cardio, which is where we get the word for the heart, it's the main artery of the city. It's the main street in the city. As you're walking through it, they have male genitalia pointing the way to the you know, the prostitution areas in the tile. This was, this was the mindset of the culture. And there was no presence of Christ. There was no understanding of Ephesians 5 and 6 of marriage that the husband is ahead, the wife is, you know, and then the children and the, and the way the family's designed and the way it's all put together. None of that. It is like, you know, the husband of one wife and and not given to much wine. And, and Paul has to re-educate Timothy and tell him, this is, this is what the cross does to a family. This is what the cross does to a culture. This is what a cross does... And as they look at that, it changes everything, and all of a sudden you have Western civilization starting to establish itself through starting in, in this area. This is the very first European kind of picture, and then it travels into more of, of Western Europe, and then across the Atlantic, and here we are today. And, and I guess when we go through this, and he's writing this to Sosthenes, the church is a mess. And, and not only that, this is, this is the great one. As the church, this infancy church is imploding and they're having all kinds of f- problems. They have a group of people in the church that are contending and saying, well, I'm with this person. No, 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 no. I'm with this person. This one's about grace. Well, this one's about the law. Well, this one is about, you know, and everybody's got their pet theologies. Well, are you a Calvinist? Are you a five point Calvinist? Are you a hyper Calvinist? Are you an Arminiist? Are you a Biblicist? Are you, do you believe in pre-trib, pre-millennial? What is your eschatology? And everyone's taking their spot. And they're, they're picking fly poop out of pepper while the entire culture is imploding around them. Uh, picking fly poop out of pepper, if you don't understand that. They're, they're dealing in things that are irrelevant, non-salvific. Everyone got that? And, and so as they're all arguing over the theology, and you have to have healthy theology. Paul will address that. But he boils it down to something very simplistic, and he just slams them. In the very opening chapter, it is such a cool presentation. He slams them. And, and he slams him in such a way as he said, look, this is going to be the only thing that divides you, not your theology. I'm not interested in what camp you are in eschatology. I'm not interested in if you're a biblicist. I don't care if you read NASB or N, NKJV or uh, it, it, mm, this is the dividing line. So all that said, that's the intro. Let's read. Ready? Here we go. No, you aren't, but it doesn't matter. Greetings, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing he talks about is sanctified, set apart. This idea, he doesn't go into justified, just as if he'd never sinned. And this is the beautiful thing about Christianity, just as if I'd never sinned. That when it's the only religion in the world that we don't have to clean up before we come to God, he cleans us up himself. And we receive that cleansing because we believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, that the blood must be shed for the remission of sin. Christ died. He paid the penalty. We receive that by faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then all of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. And we're justified, a perfect way to remember justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Let's do it together. Just as if I'd never sinned just as if I'd never sinned. One more time. Just as if I'd never sinned. Perfect. Okay. Paul doesn't go there. He already knows that they know just as if I'd never sinned. I got my get out of hell free card. And uh, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? I, I, I am saved by grace through faith. And it doesn't matter if I sin because I'm forgiven. They've got the justified down. The thing they don't have down is sanctified. What's sanctified? Set apart. Set apart for what? For the master's will for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in those. What are those good works? He'll cover that. But this idea of sanctified means we're set apart for the master's use. You've heard my illustration of that. I have a favorite coffee cup, actually got it in Cyprus at the Starbucks. It's my favorite coffee cup. It's been missing lately. But this coffee cup, I remember when we had it over at my Kenmore house and I had a cup of coffee and we'd grown some tomato plants. I went out to go check on the tomato plants. I took the coffee cup, I put it up On the cinder block wall, the back of the property, I'm tying up some of the tomato plants, looking to see about them. Uh, Phone rings or somebody calls me. I don't know what it is. I'm distracted. I go in. Uh, go about my day. Something catches my attention. I'm looking for my coffee cup. Can't find it. By that time, as you know, tomato plants, they just grow vociferously. <laughs> the thing's grown. And I'm like, where's my coffee cup? Where's my coffee cup? And uh, finally, when the plant starts to die a little bit, and we've pulled all the tomatoes off, the plant's waning. Oh, there it is. It appears on the on the cinder block wall. Hey, my coffee cup. I go to get it. And I had cream in it, and it really had wonders. I mean, it was an experiment to <laughs> behold and it's still my favorite coffee cup, but it's not fit for the master's use because it's dirty. So we had to clean it. Now the master can use it, me, right? Well, we're the master's instruments. And there are days where you wake up and you're so filthy that, you know, you get a phone call. You don't have any, any scriptures to counsel anyone with. You have no interest. You're so involved in yourself and your self-destruction. Even though you're justified, it, I never sin. work with me. Uh, even though you're justified. Thank you. We're not going to do that. It's stupid. But you can't be used because you're not sanctified. You're not set apart. You got to be cleansed. You got to repent. You got to turn. Lord, use me. You see? Do you understand that? So Paul goes right to the sanctified part. Hey, uh, who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. You're called to do this. Saints are the called out ones. You're, You're supposed to be engaging in the process of transforming the culture for Christ. And you guys are not doing it because you're filthy. And he goes through and he says, look, you don't think you have spiritual gifts or you you think that it's, you know, you need an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He goes, wait a minute. And look what he says in verse four. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. He he gave us grace, right? Not getting getting what we don't deserve. He's blessed us. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. He blessed us in both ways that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterances and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you when paul planted this church every gift was imaginable they were speaking in tongues they had a word of knowledge they had the gift of prophecy uh it was it was phenomenal gift of interpretation all these things were happening a manifestation of the spirit presenting itself in a very profound way and they were saying only this could be the lord and the church started to flourish So they had all of this, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Look at verse seven, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's got you justified. You're going to get there. You got all the gifts. God is faithful. Verse nine, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then he says now, verse 10, here we go. You got everything you need. You're justified. And you, you got all the gifts. But now I plead with you, brethren. Plead is this idea of I beg you. I implore you. My heart is ripped out in relation to you. I want you to grasp this. Brethren, by the name of our Lord, and that is that is in He the one who's in charge, Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Both of those names are interesting to me. Crispus. I like Crispus. It sounds like a potato chip lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So the gospel is the Greek word, which means simply good news, good news. What's the good news? This world is awful. I've got good news for you. This good news is that what Christ did on that cross will transform the world. It, will, it is efficacious to absolutely transform the world. But it's not going to work with division. A house divided will not stand. You are divided over petty issues when the world is imploding around you. The drug addict in downtown Los Angeles has no clue about pre-trib or pre-millennial. Can't even spell it, let alone pronounce it. There's something to be done here. Make it practical. You, you want to debate and the lint in your belly button and, and go on and on and on about these things. And, and listen, there's room for theology. There's room for seminaries, but not at the expense of the power of the gospel in transforming culture. Everything about what Paul is saying boils down to only one division. Only one division. It's not about being of the household of Cephas or Apollos or of Paul. You can't even throw this, we're the church of Christ. It boils down to one division only. One division only. And he even says, look, yeah, I baptize people. That has no relevance in what I'm about to address with you. If this culture and this church is going to survive and thrive... It's going to boil down to one division. One. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the only division. Here it is. There's two. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. Brown or yellow. Male or female. Rich or poor. None of that matters. Doesn't matter if you're from Uganda or if you're out of Cyprus or you're here in the United States. It doesn't matter. It boils down to that. That's the only dividing. That's the only division on the face of the earth according to God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. For the message of the cross to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The world's divided by that. Every ideology, everything that we're contending with culturally Boils down to that. The foolishness of the cross to those who are perishing. I need a savior? That's stupid. I'm a self made man. And again, what part of yourself did you make? I don't need the cross. We don't need the Bible in schools. We don't need the 10 commandments on the edifices of our of our public structures. We don't need your morality. It's foolishness. We need to throw off these constraints and really realize who we are. Well, we've had that great experiment here in California and it is doing remarkably poorly. I showed you the barometer of when we took prayer out of schools and the scripture out of schools and all the social path or social pathology social barometers SAT scores dropped, crime rose teen pregnancies rose I mean we saw it all 1950s 60s whoom, whoosh, whoom, whoosh, whoosh, whoom, like a roller coaster ride Oh that has nothing to do with religion that is who who are you to preach to me I don't need your And you know what happened in the church we became so engaged in I'm Cephas, I'm of Apollos I'm of Paul that we no longer engage to see how does the cross of Christ affect my marriage how does the cross of Christ affect my community how does the cross of Christ affect government how does the cross of Christ affect psychology how does the cross of Christ affect sociology how does the cross of Christ affect ecology how does cross that's not discussed anymore we've pulled out of all those areas how does the cross of Christ affect entertainment how does the cross of Christ affect media how does the cross of Christ affect you know we pulled out of that we have and well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm of the masters and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm Calvinist. I'm, and we just sit and look at each other and just discuss all the stuff that we think we're, while everything around us is imploding. And Paul says, I'm not interested in Cephas. I'm not interested in Apollos. I'm not interested in Paul. This is the dividing line right here. How does the cross of Christ affect the world? It's divided. The only division is this. To those who reject it, they consider it stupid. To those who embrace it, it is the power of God. The word power is dunamis, dynamite. It is transformative. It explodes. It transforms. It changes. Nothing can stop it. But the reason why category two is ineffective is because they're divided over Cephas, Apollos, Paul. Chuck Smith, John MacArthur. You tracking me? Yep. So he pleads with them that they would speak the same thing and they would come to this understanding. And when he says this in verse 18, he then goes on and he says in verse 19, for it is written, and and, and this is how he does it. He says, here's, a di- here's, here's the only dividing structure that the church has. It is written. And he, he quotes this out of... Um, For Jews request a sign. Greeks, after wisdom, we preach Christ crucified. And the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It divides culture. And here's what, look, the world says, and God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The foundation on which they build their ideology, and in the vacuum that the Christian church has created, because we're busy arguing about Cephas, Apollos, and Paul, in the vacuum we've created in the culture, as we haven't engaged in Corinth, i.e. California, in the vacuum we've created, the ideology that they step into, which is void of the cross of Christ, it starts to build on itself, and we've covered this and, and I've managed to insult probably everyone in the room because we've all been not educated but indoctrinated and we all have our pet peeves. And and my job is just to speak the gospel and how you feel about me is irrelevant. I, I don't seek to insult, but that's that's what happens. But what what occurs here is leave it to them to build it, and then I sit through a six hour council meeting and some of the things I hear are insane. Honestly, it is, it is baffling to me. You have a county supervisor who says that we need to push all density into the cities in the county and not build on, on open land in the county. Then that supervisor attends the council meeting and they are contending with no longer allowing any density in the city. So what they're saying is we don't want any more building. Okay. No more building. Yeah, but our property values are going through the roof, and one of the people of SOAR, save our open space in agriculture, one of the founders of it, he's got stage four cancer, he's dying, and one of the county supervisors is appealing for funds on GoFundMe so that his wife can still live here because his life insurance will not allow them to own property in Ventura County because the property values are too high. I wonder why they're so high. You're, it, it's the contradiction of this thing. And you've got these concentric circles, but who designed those people who have, who have done inductive and deductive reasoning through an understanding of how life operates, realizing that these are, and you can't dismiss science and, and you have to look at it. Well, when science starts to add up along with inductive and deductive reasoning, and you go, wait a minute, that means we have to acknowledge a creator. Forget that. Well, then the rest of it falls apart. It just it, it just doesn't hold up. And so you have to figure out, well, how do we keep this moving? Well, take that out. If we can get that ideology out and just embrace what we're saying. Yeah, but people are drawn to this because it's true and it transforms their families. It transforms their cultures. It transforms their. yeah, let them go to another state. And the church is like, well, okay, we'll go to another state because we have to argue about Cephas and Apollos and Paul. Maybe I'm baffling everybody tonight. I don't know. So as they're contending for these things, all of a sudden it starts to look crazy. It just looks crazy. Um, let me read this to you. This is, this is the environmentalist movement. It's called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. Let me repeat that. Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, V-H-E-M, appears to be a group of uncoordinated or rather disorganized extremists, but you can recognize some of it in, in the environment you have met. Advocating no less the destruction of the human race in order to avoid suffering to humans and which seems to be more important <laughs> to our beautiful planet. The site contains a snippet of, of, of statements. Here's one of them. When every human chooses to stop breeding, Earth's biosphere will be allowed to return to its former glory. Great progress will be made toward improving the quality of life on earth by countering greed with responsibility, ignorance with education, and oppression with freedom, making babies seem to be a blind spot in our outlook on life. We call the movement V-H-E-M-T, but it's undoubtedly been given other names throughout history. None have been recorded as far as we know. And and so the idea is we want to see the day where... Population is limited, and people stop having children. Uh, here's Cheryl here's Crow, very talented musician. Uh, I enjoy many of her songs. Interesting position, though, on the environment. She says, and, and you read it, and I'm like, wait, what? I have spent the better part of this tour trying to come up with easy ways for all of us to become a part of the solution to global warming, Although my ideas are in the earlier, earliest stages of development, they are, in my mind, worth investigating. I propose a limitation be put on how many squares of toilet paper can be used in any one sitting. Only one square per restroom visit. Except, of course, on those pesky occasions where two or three could be required. So we all die of dysentery, but hey, we're saving the planet. This is a first world problem. Here's Jennifer Aniston. I take a three-minute shower. I even brush my teeth while in the shower. All right. Awesome. awesome, Uh, Environmentalism, recycling, are taught as doctrine rather than as subjects for discussion. Uh, Children have to report to their school whether they have arrived by public transport. Um, That's good. Bicycle is excellent. A car is evil. Children don't escape the propaganda even when they study languages. Uh, in French study, they had to write essays on how marvelous recycling is. There's no analysis of counter arguments. We, we, did, a, we did a mock city council event that uh, the mayor at the time, Mayor uh, Bilda de la Pena, put on, and it was awesome. She has connections with the Conejo Valley Unified School District. They put this on. They had fifth graders come in, they all took council seats. One had the mayor, and then you had kids asking questions. So every kid got to participate. And then the dais, they all got to vote, and it was really cool. And she got sick very sick. And she said, Rob, would you fill in for me? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So I show up and I talk about liberty and declaration of independence and things like that. And then they had already had everything structured. And so they proceeded with it. The topic of discussion put forward by the Conejo Unified School District was, um, we are either going to build a, what was it? A pizza parlor? No, no, no. We have a money for public transportation. Are we going to get gas buses? Are we gonna get electric buses or are we gonna get uh, petrol fuel buses? And and then they each had to give their statement. Well, electric buses, though a little bit more expensive, are better for the environment, and then the the natural gas buses drive longer, but they're as expensive. And and everything was geared towards electric buses. And then everyone votes and all the kids are like, electric buses. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no debate or discussion related, it's just reading it, going, oh, Right, and, and I look at this and everything is towards this movement. It's not education in my estimation. It's not teaching children to challenge ideas or to think. Um, it's a prescriptive as education in the Soviet Union. I, this is what one author wrote, at least in the Soviet Union, many understood that they should not trust what they were being told. Here, because the propaganda is less obvious, students do not have their guard up. and And we're not educating, we're indoctrinating, so... What does is, what is the cross of Christ do in relation to education? Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Work meaning not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We seek truth. Well, it's your truth or it's your truth. No, there's not your truth or your truth. There's truth. Well, it's social justice. Now, there's no such thing as social justice. Social means that the majority of the people vote and they say that this is legitimate while the 49% are ridiculed and mocked. Justice is justice. It is a metaphysical statement that can only be established by a creator. If we only live in a materialistic world, there's no such thing as glory. There's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as a lie that that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as love. Those are all given by a creator. Metaphysical. They're emotions. Justice is God's. It's not social justice. It's not what you want to design design it to be. It's not your truth or your truth. It's truth. Two plus two is four. I feel, I feel like it should be three. Well, you get an F. Oh, you can't do that. You're, you're hurting their psyche. But they got an F. No, 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 no Fs. Everybody gets a ribbon. What do we create? An entitled generation. Where's my ward? He didn't do your homework. So... I have a friend who works for um, Special Operations Command, SOCOM. He says this entire generation of, of uh, l- uh, lower grade officers coming into the Navy, special forces, are all affected by the millennial mindset. They show up to work late, they're like, hey, and he just mocks them. He's like, I'm glad you guys can make it, can I get you a cup of coffee? And their response is, yeah, that'd be fine, thank you, sir. <laughs> This is what we're developing. What does the cross of Christ say about raising children? You spare the rod, you spoil the child. Whoa, you can't touch the child. You don't abuse them, but there's consequences. That's what you're teaching. This is no way a covenant. You go to put the, li- the fork in the light socket. I'm going to hit your hand. Why did you do that? Because I don't want you to die. This isn't that painful. <laughs> that is awful. Okay, daddy. Right? when you take the cross out of culture, then you have child abuse. I told you to shut up. Where's the cross in that? And then you use Apollos or Cephas to justify it. That's tough love. What does the cross say? How were you saved? What did God do in your life? How does it transform your culture? What does the scripture say in relation to that? And so, all of a sudden, things start to implode. Uh, let me read this to you. It's interesting. This is um, this is on NPR, um, and I, I found the transcript. Huh. Oh, okay. And it's it's a it's like a self paradox paragraph. It's it's just self identifying, and they and 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 it's. It's just hard I, I don't even know how they're describing their child, and, it, and it's it's a couple that is I, I don't know who's what and and how they're identified but they they write this and 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 the mother, which is actually a male, describes their child this way our born our boy chick was born 2007 of March as a male assigned at birth and so far apparently comfortable with that assignment. White, currently able-bodied, congenitally hypothyroid, co-sleeper, former breastfed toddler, elimination communication graduate, sling baby and early walker, trial and error, uh, cliched light of our life, and impetus for the blog, odds are good, he will be the most privileged of persons a middle class able-bodied cisgender straight white male i mean i i it's i i couldn't and and but that's where we are and and that's is that the cross of christ listen we all have struggles i get it but this is getting hard to fathom and i don't get it and then watch this this is an interesting one um, I've got it out of sequence, so let me... Here we go. Does anyone know uh, about this right here? Um, he was the first one to to place... Um, European space agencies landed... Uh, they landed this on a comet 300 million miles away. So this guy was the main scientist, a PhD... And it's like taking two bullets and shooting them each other and hitting them at high speeds. So, so we're going to aim at each other, shoot, and we're going to try to hit the bullets in midair as we're both <laughs> downrange. <laughs> so he lands this on an asteroid that's moving. And the point is, if we can do that, we can blow it up as it's coming near the earth. Phenomenal achievement. Calculating all these things and doing all that stuff. His name's Matt Taylor. And... and uh, they're interviewing him. He's crying because he's so touched. He's so moved. One of the greatest accomplishments, modern day history of engineering accomplishment. And, and what did the culture say? He was ridiculed because of his shirt. It has women dressed in lingerie. Not even naked women, just lingerie. And he's known for these, these kind of wild shirts, and that's the one he wore. And actually, a woman gave him the shirt. And he wore it to honor her. And I want to read to you this. It's interesting. Uh, Rose Evelith tweeted, No, no, women are totally welcome in our community. Just ask the dude in this shirt. Astrophysicist uh, Katie Mack commented, I don't care what scientists wear, but a shirt featuring women in lingerie isn't appropriate for a broadcast. If you care about women in... STEM, which is um, science, technology, engineering, and math. And from there, the online feminist lynch mob took off until Taylor was forced to deliver a tearful apology on camera. It seems, uh, I like what this author says, it "It seems to me that if you care about women in STEM, maybe you shouldn't want to communicate the notion that they are so delicate that they can't handle pictures of comic book women. Uh, Will we stock our Mars spacecraft with fainting couches Not everyone was so censorious. As one female space professional wrote, don't these women and their male cohorts understand that they are doing the damage to what, whom they claim to defend? No, they don't, or if they do, their reservations are overcome by the desire to feel important and powerful at others' expenses. Thus, what should have been the greatest day in a man's life, accomplishing something never before done in the history of humanity, was instead derailed by people with their own axes to grind. As Chloe Price observed, imagine the storm if the scientists had been wearing a woman, and uh, scientists had been wearing a woman, and everyone focused solely on her clothes and not her achievements. She wrote feminists have been telling us for years that women can wear whatever they want and for men to comment in any way is sexism but that's obviously a double standard since they evidently feel no compunction whatsoever in criticizing what men wear do do you see that it's it's difficult to fathom how crazy it gets and that's where God makes foolish the wisdom of the wise here's one She died at 92 years of age, Barbara Bush. She was married 73 years. She was the mother of a president of the United States and the wife of a president of the United States. Only one other woman has that distinction in the history of the United States, and that's Abigail Adams. that's a pretty remarkable achievement. Her husband was shot down in World War II and survived. She was almost widowed, endured through that. She, this is a picture of her back in the 80s or 90s, I think it was, 90s, when AIDS was thought that it was communicated by breathing and the like, and she just went into an AIDS clinic and picked up this AIDS baby and started hugging this baby, hugged a man, changed the whole atmosphere and the fear, and she died this past couple weeks. There she is. She's known for those pearls. She said the, the pearls are fake, but the heart is real. And um, I'm sad to say that from my alma mater, Fresno State University, California State University, Fresno, go Bulldogs. Uh, there's a professor. Here she is. She made outrageous comments celebrating the death of Barbara Bush, taking delight in the pain George H.W. Bush is experiencing now. According to her bio page at Fresno State, Professor Rhonda Gerrard is an award-winning novelist, short story writer, essayist, and translator, and serves as the executive director of Rawi, the radius of Arab-American writers. Her first tweet upon Bush's death was, Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. And then she starts into a tirade, and um, she drops the F-bomb. F out of here with your nice words, she said. Either you are against these pieces of... Sh, and their genocidal ways, or you're part of the problem. That's exactly how simple this is. I'm happy it is this witch. I'm happy that this witch is dead. Can't wait for the rest of her family to fall to their demise, the way 1.5 uh, million Iraqis have. Bye. And then she starts bragging that nobody can do anything to her. She works as a tenured professor. I make a hundred thousand dollars a year doing that. I will never be fired. I will always have people wanting to hear what I have to say. In one clip, as they began to take these clips, and this is the translation of it, in one clip featured in the video, Gerard is discussing Fresno's agriculture industry. I went to Fresno State, and, and they, they, they love their agriculture, and they love the president, by the way. She says, a lot of farmers are Trump supporters and just effing stupid. In another, she says, she can't stand the white het- hetero patriarchy. In another video, Gerard criticizes that she sees as Democrats in action on political issues pointing to resistance fighters in the 1960s and 70s who hijack planes. I don't give an F. I'm buying guns. I'm an American. I'm buying guns, she says in one video clip. The other side is like doing some stupid S. I'm going to do some stupid S. I'm tired of like being the big, she's in English, like being, uh, she keeps saying like, uh, like, I'm also just tired of the left being, like, effing stupid and being, like, no, we have to be, like, be gentle. No, don't be effing gentle. F Eff your postcard, she says in the video. That's enough. Like, effing get out of here and do some S. In the same interview, Gerard asks why Spencer's house is still standing. It's unclear who Gerard is referencing in the video clip. One possibility is nationally known white supremacist Richard Spencer. It needs to be effing broken into, she said. People need to effing throw grenades into it. I don't give. uh, Oh, come on. Where's the rest of this? It's so good. Hang on. Oh, man. So, anyways. She just says I don't give enough. So, she's a interesting woman. She is. Uh, she's teaching your children. Uh, donations at Fresno State have precipitously dropped. Huh? Yeah. And guess what? The administration is doing nothing. They won't fire her. They've lost millions of dollars and they can't touch her. Well, okay. So, uh, I'm sorry, what was it Kim? Go ahead. I just said the group rose to her defense today. Yeah. So they have a, a petition.org to the hundreds of thousands. It's just crazy. Doesn't matter. I am tenured. F U. And you look at that and you think, this is the education. This is, what does the cross of Christ look like in education? Is that brilliance or foolishness? I mean, are you excited about sending your children to be educated? And and, and looks are nothing. That's not my point. My point is, what's being indoctrinated? Is, there, is, is this a seeking of truth or is it? Is it done in a civil manner? How does dialogue occur when the cross of Christ is there? Hello? Orderly, Orderly kind. Do, the Bible says do whatever you do, do decently and in order. Yeah. Speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual praises, making melody in your heart, words fitly spoken as like apples of gold and settings of silver, a gentle word turns away wrath. That's what the cross of Christ looks like. So this is, this is the only division in the body of Christ the apostle paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians he said Christ and the cross foolishness or wisdom and it really boils down to that it's the cross of Christ now what do you mean the cross this this wooden structure real simple we are vile we're fallen We're separated from our creator. Our creator is wisdom. Our creator is truth. Our creator is love. Our creator is order. Yes? We, without his presence, left to our own accord, do whatever seems right in our own mind, and we are already very adept at doing that. Look at any culture in the history of mankind that has removed God from their culture. Pastor Fred, were you alive with Idi Amin? When Idi Amin was in power, were you alive? Was Uganda awful? Very awful. Um, Maxime, the two of you guys weren't in Soviet Russia, but you know the history of it. Yes, they're believers; they would have been outlawed in Soviet Russia. Soviet Union, not Russia, Soviet Union. With secularism, billions have died with a B. Wherever the cross of Christ has been, it's transformed cultures. Do you understand that? What does the cross of Christ do? It's either foolishness or it's wisdom. The idea is everyone must be reconciled to God. And the only way you're reconciled is by the cross. I receive his gift that he bled and died to pay for my sins. And I've been saved by, by, by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And because I've been saved, it changes everything. It doesn't just do this. And we're not gonna spend our time arguing in the church if you're of Cephas or if you're of Chuck or John or Paul or Apollos, you get out there and fix Corinth. And the apostle Paul said, "Let let me make it really simple. He'll go into chapter two and he'll say this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the interesting thing about that is that ego goes away. Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. To will and to do of his good pleasure. My ego dies. My agenda dies. God lives. And what does God want to do? Change culture. He doesn't want us to be divided over petty, non-salvific issues. Let me... Let me finish what I was reading. Where did we leave off? I'll close because I've got about five minutes. Um, Let's do this. Let's go to verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the lord the point is you want wisdom you want to know how to to work in this world and make it better it's found in christ who is christ christ is the word in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god the word became flesh and dwelt with man engaging culture changing lives the cross what does the cross of christ look like in culture it's not it's not it's not jewelry If you were to wear an electric chair, it's the same thing as the cross. If you were to wear a gas chamber, it's the same thing as wearing a cross. It was a symbol of death. But unlike the gas chamber, unlike the electric chair, which were both designed to be humane, as strange as that is, the cross was designed to be as brutal and as painful as humanly possible. It doesn't even equal the gas chamber. It doesn't even equal injection. It doesn't equal any of it, it. This is brutal. You suffer as long as possible. And he endured it. To change the world. Not so that we could argue and pick fly poop out of pepper, but to change culture. Corinth. Stop it. Fix this place. What does the cross of Christ look like in your relationship? You don't sleep with your father's wife. What does the cross of Christ look like at the communion table? You're not drunk. Be not drunk of wine, but of the Holy Spirit. What does the cross of Christ look like in government? Our children are not to be prostituted, nor are our wives. What does the cross of Christ look like? There isn't a king who has authority over human beings. We are equal. We were created in the image of our creator, fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in our mother's womb. What does the cross of Christ look like of the womb that's the safest place on the earth? This is what the cross of Christ does. It isn't given so that we argue over pre-trib, pre millennial we can do that later. There's work to be done now. Amen. Amen. What does the cross of Christ look like in this city? I don't want to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was lost. And you want to talk about education? Paul says, I've got you beat. He spoke multiple language. He had the equivalent of doctorate degrees. He had entire passages of scripture memorized. And he gave it all up to be a fool for Christ. He never called ahead to see what the hotels were like. He called ahead to see what the prisons were like. He was kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. Everywhere he went, it was a riot or a revival. And he never gave up. Even when he plants a church and he comes back and he sees them arguing over the most stupid of things while their entire culture is imploding and their kids are being prostituted where did child labor laws come from? Christians who said, what does the cross of Christ look like in the labor community? Where did did abolitionists come from? The cross of Christ in the lives of people who said you don't enslave another human being. Where did the civil rights come from? The cross of Christ. Just study history. Where did women's suffrage come from? The cross of Christ. But we're more engaged in Chuck and John and Apollos and Paul and Cephas. And we just want to stay here because it's comfortable. Just, would you stop it already? Just talk about the rapture. I'll close with Isaiah 29. The Lord says, inasmuch as these people draw near with their hearts or their mouths, excuse me, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths, and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. All this stupidity we're watching is going by the wayside. We're finally going to wake up and go, I'm kind of done with this. I mean, it really is a house of cards that's imploding. How, how much longer are we going to endure this until we say, you know what, I think I'm gonna go do something for the sake of my kids and for future generations and I, I just can't stand idly by while this is taking place. A marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord and their works in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? Surely you have these things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me. Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. There's two worlds. There's the world that says, there's no God and I don't owe him nothing or her. I'm going to do what I want to do. And what God is saying is, the clay doesn't tell the potter. The clay submits to the potter. Those are the two categories. Either the cross of Christ is the power of God or it's foolishness. And that affects every ideology. And where that ideology reigns, the consequences come with it. With the cross of Christ and the power families are strengthened, lives are changed, slaves are set free, women vote, children aren't enslaved to labor, and where the cross of Christ is considered foolish and God is abandoned, billions die. End of story. That's the only dividing point. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what sex you are. What does the cross of Christ do in the culture? That's what Paul said. You want to survive in the church? You want to survive in the culture? It's the cross of Christ. That's the only dividing point.